All right. So we have been talking about hacks this year. We have been talking about supply chain risk. We have been talking about end user risk, and we've been talking all throughout 2020 about increasing ransomware, et cetera. Right. And we, on top of all that, we have the pandemic distributed workforce and all of the attendant risks that come with that. Today, we want to talk about a different side of that problem, which is how do companies measure that risk and ensure against that risk, right? There are layers of protection. You have your technology, you can mitigate, you can detect, but there is a transference of risk to the things you can't control. But we were really excited to talk with Rajiv Gupta, the co-founder and chief product officer at Cowbell Cyber, which uses disruptive technology to make the cyber insurance process much easier. This has traditionally been a process that's so onerous that people just kind of give up in the middle of their questionnaires, which is not a sustainable solution for the future. I was also lucky enough to be joined on this episode by Otavio Freire, who is the co-founder and CTO of Safeguard Cyber, to weigh in on some of the, the more technical questions. So without further ado, let's get into it with Rajiv Gupta. Rajiv Gupta, welcome to the Zero Hour. We're really excited to have you here, excited to learn more about Cowbell Cyber and, and kind of talk about the risk management practice in general. Well, uh, thank you for having me. It's my pleasure. Hey there, Rajiv. Great to have you on uh, here at the podcast today. Um, yeah, let's start off uh, with, with more of uh, uh, talking about your career arc. You have this great storied career arc that brought you from uh, the security vendor side at Simperium to cyber insurance, right? So, so tell us about your journey. What was the impetus for creating Cowbell Cyber? Um, well, thanks, Otavio. It's it's uh, it's uh, funny because uh, you know, in my um, my background, of course, as you said, from Zimperium, a mobile threat defense company, uh, we you know, I used to interact a lot with customers, uh, both when I was running, of course, uh, the whole uh, international pre-sales but also um, as, as a head of engineering and product management. Uh, in a lot of those discussions, uh, the concept of risk, understanding risk uh, and the risk management, um, the, the discussion around risk transfer comes up a lot, right? Uh, I mean, so if you're thinking about the risk, you have uh, detection tools, uh, mitigation tools in place and training and whatnot, but then there's always this uh, leftover risk the, the, uh, that you, want to transfer to the insurance company. Basically insurance is nothing but a risk transfer mechanism, right? So, um, you know, I got pretty intrigued uh, during those conversations and uh, it has started to feel that I was getting to those discussions more and more uh, during the late, later days of my, uh, my later days at Zimperium. And then I ran into uh, Jack Cudale, my uh, co-founder, uh, he's the CEO. And uh, when he started talking about how he's looking into cyber insurance and everything, this was like, Great. I mean, this look, felt like a match made in heaven. I have known Jack for over 13 years. Uh, he was uh, at CA, you know, when uh, they acquired my previous startup uh, in uh, DevOps space and service virtualization space. So I've known him for a long time. And then when I ran into him about this idea, that was like, uh, you know, we got to do this and there's no, better, no other person better suited uh, to do this. If I don't do it, somebody else will do it. Then why not me? Right. So that was the idea. And then we never look back actually after the decision. This is the best decision in my life till today. Yeah, that's that's interesting. So the before we continue, the name really stands <laughs> out, 
right? And I, <laughs> you know, we have sort of Zurich insurance, we've got like risk advisors, but like Cowbell Cyber. So just before we get started, how, how did you decide on, on that name? I mean, there are, uh, there are a lot of stories, uh, some real, some made up. Um, <laughs> <laughs> the the real, uh, real thing is, it's actually more of a Cowbell is a risk indicator. Uh, as the herd moves uh, from one location to another, the Cowbells is basically transfer of risk. That's kind of a it signifies and it's uh, uh, we like uh, animals uh, means uh, even if you look at a lot of the other companies like Datadog or you know there's a lot of these uh, animal names and that are pretty pretty successful and pretty so we were we wanted to do something there and then uh, you know when we thought about risk and the cowbell and then of course uh, you know growing up in India we've grown up with cows right they have a lot of <laughs> uh, we have a lot of respect for cows so it, it say you know what maybe that's the right name and then once we put it on paper and uh, we saw a lot of great reaction you know everybody we talked to said hey this is this is a great name uh, you know so we said you know what let's go with it and i think it's a, it's a sticking people remember it once they hear it so that's what we yeah for for sure definitely says that it's not generic and also you know it comes with a good a good story that's illustrative of, of the risk transfer. So um, I think Atavi is going to approach you from the technology side in a moment, but from your vantage point, what are the current barriers to how companies approach cyber risk and insurance? Like what is what are the, some of the challenges and the mentality and how they think about that risk transfer? Um, so are you thinking, are you asking this question more from the, the barriers for the new players? If somebody were to jump in, what's the, what's the barrier for somebody to create? I, I guess your customers, like how do you, do you, do you see them kind of running into kind of the same issues time and again, when they try to think about how they want to cover their risk, uh, or how they can see yeah, their risk? I mean, cyber, buying cyber is a, uh, pretty, uh, I would say it's not a fun process, neither for the insured, <laughs> not for the agent who's selling it. Because uh, the uh, the forms, if you look at how the cyber is sold today, you'll have to fill in this uh, 15, 20 pages long form, right? And uh, mm -hmm. CFO majority of the time has no idea what those mean, what, you know, the head of risk at a company, he has, you know, he may be able to answer 50, 60% of it, but then he's He's making guesses and he's uh, over-assumptive in some of the answers. And, you know, a lot of those times, these answers even come back as affirmative. Like, you know, do you have this process in place? Yes. And it's a, so first of all, it's it's a painful process. It's a manual process. It's not mm -hmm. something that, uh, you know, people try to avoid. A lot of the companies, they want cyber, but when they've been presented with this questionnaire, they just never execute on it. So, you know, we actually just last year insured this one company they were incorporated in 1925 never had cyber right last oh, five years oh. the agent has been trying to sell them cyber but these guys get overwhelmed by the process and they just give up and say this is just too much you know we don't need it and this year when they presented they were excited because there was no application we have eliminated the application process completely so there's no guesswork Oh, how do I answer this question or that question? There's no no question to answer, right? You just uh, uh, sort of the basic things uh, and uh, you're good to go. We rely on data. Uh, so I think we are eliminating, uh, to your point, what's the biggest hurdle? We are, we are removing a lot of those hurdles uh, and making it easier for the policyholders or for the, for the organizations out there to actually buy cyber. 
uh, in the process. Awesome. It's a tough market means um, you're looking at cross industry innovation. So what happens is uh, if you think about it, the companies, uh, the uh, insurance companies who are export in insurance, they try to go with cyber and they have no understanding of cyber. So they put a, this uh, you know, 200 question application. Then you have cyber expertise uh, companies who are really good in cyber, but they have no understanding of the insurance. And they're saying, okay, I don't know how to do this. I'm gonna create a, a ratings and I'm gonna give you the rating and then you figure it out. Like this is a huge magic quadrant for these companies called SRS, Security Rating Services. So the divide is there and that divide stays. And even though both sides are flourishing, nobody's able to cross across and say, you know what, let me align the risk differently so that it helps the underwriting better. And for that cross industry innovation to happen, uh, we had to take on both uh, under the same roof, right? We call it a vertically integrated platform. Interesting. And that's what is the most important part. Rajiv, let me dig a little bit deeper into the disruptive tech. I've, you know, I've seen the platform. It is amazing. The, the, the cowbell indicators blows your mind. And, and uh, you're absolutely right. Immediate value. You turn this on for 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 you know everyone in the ecosystem, but tell me a little bit more about how do you get there, right? Those 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 uh, indicators look really hard to build. You're right. Uh, means uh, it's uh, you know the the good and bad. The 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 bad part uh, is basically uh, today when an underwriter is trying to underwrite cyber, they have to they are inundated with data, right? There's so much of data out there and they have to manually comprehend and feed uh, things into the rater. But the good thing is, if you think about it, where we are as an industry in terms of maturity of the machine learning and AI, means it's literally like a common denominator, it means you wouldn't have a product out there without an AI, without anything, right? So it's a, so easy, data science is becoming so you know, accessible um, that it's actually a blessing. Now, you know all that data, so we are not uh, shying away and saying, hey, this is too complex, let's not look at this data, let's not look at that data. Now that the machines are actually looking at the data, we're saying, bring it more, how can I get more data? I'm gonna go pull the Twitter sentiments, I'm gonna go put all the data, as much data, so we love the data, right? And we are able to model all different aspects of the risk into this thing. And you know that's where it is manifest into the cobble factor. So we, we believe because we are a, a standalone monoline mono cyber, as opposed to a, a single, what do you call a rider on a, on a general liability, a single ratings factor is not enough, which you generally get from security rating services companies. Uh, you are looking, you know, we have 27 different insuring agreements on our, uh, in a prime 250 product. How do you assess and how do you underwrite 27 different insuring agreements if you only are looking at one risk indicator, right? So we had to align the risk differently. We had to kind of package the risk differently for betterment of underwriting process. And that's what the cobble factors does. And it, it's a, you know, uh, now, when I look back, it feels like, you know, this perfect way, this is exactly how it's supposed to be done, why it was not done before, <laughs> uh, because of course, uh, you know, it's a 2020 hindsight, but uh, it's, uh, it's amazing how these uh, factors come together and the efficacy just only goes up by every day as we assess more and more data. Awesome. Um, so I wanna, I wanna change gears just a little bit and talk about kind of the two big moments that are happening right now and we're still living in the aftermath of, right? It's the pandemic, which has created the massive distributed workforce that is maybe in becoming increasingly normal. 
and of course the solar winds hack. So I'm going to take the first one and I'll seed the the solar winds uh, line of conversation to Ottavio. So we've been talking with our guests since last April and to security leaders about the changes in the workforce. We've seen attacks on the rise. So I have two questions there. Um, for cyber risk, how has the pandemic and the shift to distributed work changed things from a risk perspective for your customers? Absolutely. Everything is online now. All the businesses that were used to uh, or that were, they were delaying digi digitization or getting online, they're forced and accelerated to go online. And, uh, mm -hmm. you know, there are uh, industries that were uh, you know, managing things offline, whatnot. So uh, there's definitely a Uber activity. There's a, a pent up activity on uh, online and whatnot. And uh, if, you, if you see, means I think the, if I remember correctly, FBI recently reported how the cyber attacks have grown, uh, you know, to as many as 4,000 a day. That's like a 400% increase in activity since COVID. And the number of phishing attacks mm -hmm. and social engineering attacks have jumped to 20,000 to 30,000 a day, right? So these, uh, there's a huge, uh, I mean, of course, it's, uh, it's, you know, the correlation between more online activity and more cyber attacks is, is uh, obviously there, but, uh, you know, even now the vaccination is coming out and, you know, you see a lot of phishing attacks just taking that, mm -hmm. whatever is in the news, uh, these bad guys, they, they use that as to their advantage. And, and because as a, as a user, if I'm going to get an email which talks about some vaccine, I'd probably be a little bit more inclined to click on it, right? So that they, they capitalize on that. And that's why these attacks always go up and there's one news or something else is really going up now. Of course, um, you know, the side effect of that is the whole insurance industry is, is a seeing a huge, huge uprise, right? There's a huge uh, pent up demand in insurance. And a lot of that is also, uh, I, I would say attributed to education. Uh, before uh, businesses were buying cyber for contractual reasons. So if you say last year, I would say uh -huh. not 2020, 2019 or 2018, there were a lot of uh, cyber that was sold because you know I have a contractual requirement. I need to fulfill it. I need a two million cover, whatnot. But now businesses are truly thinking about resiliency. They're thinking about if they get attacked, what do they want to do and how can they stay afloat? Uh, so we're seeing more and more of those uh, kind of things changing uh, as a result of COVID. Yeah, I, I assume that rapid digitization of the companies made the risk far more real to the operational success of the company rather than just kind of like a nice to have yeah. cover right it's like it's the if it if it, things go down plus you know successive ransomware attacks on a different note um as a co-founder how has the work from home aspect impacted cowbell from a company culture or operational standpoint i assume like most tech companies not a big shift but you know you seem like a very fun culture, not least because of the name. So, you know, interested to know how you're coping with that as, as we are also trying to, to cope with yeah, that. Yeah, I mean, um, surprisingly, the productivity by, you know, no doubt has gone up. Uh, the Everybody's just working around the clock, you know, and uh, as a result of that, we have created a lot of uh, these uh, activities that help, uh, you know, the camaraderie and the, to have the team stay connected. Uh, you know, wellness exercise, uh, online yoga. We just had a, our first uh, mixology class. Uh, you know, we, we 
<laughs> so there are things we're doing to to make sure the culture stays intact people stay engaged uh, but overall i think uh, i don't think it has impacted the productivity we probably accelerated some of our release plans and what not we have seen uh, well uh, we are a little bit new so there's uh, hardly anything to compare against but uh, uh, we definitely are seeing you know we we grown uh, we doubled up in size uh, we mm-hmm. doing more in um, uh, almost all fronts the business is uh, really doing good um now i means uh, once we go back uh, now i fear that productivity we may actually dip when you start to go back to office <laughs> so we'll see let's let's uh change gears a little rajiv um to to the second point that uh george had introduced let's talk about solar winds and actually even more recently mimecast right um we're seeing the step up of the supply chain attacks and how they're affecting companies um you know so the question is also how they affected companies and how they look at risk um as you think of the analysis of your policies are you seeing greater risk in the adoption of these third party technologies oh it means that's one of the area where industry as a whole i feel like needs to do a lot more you know the security needs to get better assessing the profile of these third parties even even fourth parties it means needs to get better um it's really difficult actually to assess uh, the vendor risk in the supply chain um that's why you know um, you know we partner uh, with companies like uh, safeguard for example right you i mean uh, it helps us assess this uh, layered uh, as we add more layers and all our connector platform helps in uh, seeing behind the, D- the the dmz behind the firewall uh, so we we mm-hmm. are uh, trying to be a lot more uh, kind of uh, you know cognizant of this uh, supply chain stack uh, and there's a lot more to be done for sure uh, in this space uh and we we do have plans for example as part of our cobble factor so we will be launching our supply chain cobble factor pretty soon uh that will actually encapsulate the risk of your vendors and everything into a single cobble factor that can be used for uh, different purposes um you know the uh, this is definitely an area uh, for growth uh, area of maturity that uh, uh, i would say almost everybody has to uh, come together and play part in the immediate aftermath of solar winds did you have any customers that kind of realized that maybe they hadn't factored in third party risk did they did they have to like jump in and kind of reconfigure their policies based on you know a, i guess a greater awareness of the risk so um, what we were able to do is uh, very quickly surface uh, because we do capture uh, the tech stack uh, of companies using as part of our risk assessment and what not so we do uh, we were able to surface very quickly that uh, you know if uh, a company is using solar winds uh, to reach out and say hey uh, have you patched have you upgraded uh, right mm-hmm. so a lot of that uh, you know the good thing about eliminating the application from the process and relying on the data is that we don't just assess the risk at the time of policy issuance we continue to assess the risk uh, even after the policy issued on a continuous real time basis right so um, you know helping a policy holder improve their risk posture is an is kind of a win 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 strategy right they never get hurt we never get a claim everybody's happy right? <laughs> <laughs> so we uh, we 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 work with the policy holders in educating those uh, and then of course the ones who we identified from our system 
that they had uh, solar winds in there. So we kind of reach out, make sure they have patched, they have upgraded their systems uh, uh, based on uh, the advisory that was uh, sent out by the solar winds itself. That's great. Hey, Rajiv, as a, as a, a fellow co-founder and uh, CTO, and also in the white beard um, club, <laughs> <laughs> I, you know, I'm always uh, interested in the, um, in understanding the broader trends, right? I'm sure that you're always also looking out what's out there in the horizon. You know, I think we all have to keep our radars fully attuned. So, um, and I'm always asking how Audit founders um, think about them. So, so where do you see where do you see the cybersecurity insurance market um, head in the next five years? Uh, awesome question. Uh, you know that this is one of the things that I pondered when I actually started the company. Also uh, with Jack, uh, we, you know, if you think about go about a decade, ten or twelve years ago, cybersecurity market was in the low. Uh, I would say, you know, low hundreds or you know, it was ten, twelve billion dollar market that time. Um, cyber insurance is actually a little bit smaller than that. It's a getting to that point. Um, but we do see that in the next uh, uh, next five to seven years, uh, the market is expected to grow 35 to 40% CAGR. Uh, it will be, you know, good 50, $70 billion market in the next seven years, five, seven years. So there's a, there's a pretty rich growth. There is a, there's a lot happening in the cyber insurance world uh, where, I mean, uh, of course, the education is a big part of it, but uh, also the regulation. There are quite a few states that may start mandating cyber if you're a certain type of business or mm -hmm. bigger than certain type of business. And you know, if those kind of things starts happening, uh, you will see you know a big flurry. And then also, do you see growth in the even the small business community? I think about I have a lot of friends who own you know, small retail shops in the community. And I've tried to educate them on, you know, because like even a three, $5,000 ransomware, you know, it could, it can wipe out a small business. The margins are quite small. And, um, you know, it's the universal rule that no one thinks it's going to happen to them. Um, do you, do you see like greater adoption happening among, you know, not just enterprise level, but basically anyone who's online absolutely. at this point? Um, absolutely. Terms. And the, the funny thing is the larger companies, uh, if you think about uh, the biggest of the hacks that make the news and they stay in the news forever, like Marriott, Sony, and uh, you know, mm -hmm. uh, Equifax, those companies, they, they get hit hard, but they don't go out of business. But our small businesses, right. you know, majority of them, they just go out of business. They just don't know how to recoup, right? And that's the difference between uh, a small company and a big company, right? It means uh, the small company just, just can't uh, survive the attack. And that's why it's even more critical for small businesses to actually buy cyber um, and make sure they're fully covered. Uh, and uh, the education is growing. Uh, means, uh, you know, that's why we first launched our uh, small cyber product. We call it Prime 100, uh, primarily suited mm -hmm. for companies around 50 million or so. It goes up to 100 million, but it's a 100% it's machine underwritten product to fully, you know, we call our, uh, you know, the Moo, the AI bot, you know, our bot name is <laughs> Moo. Uh, yeah, of well, right? So, um, so it's all 100% machine redone, no human touch whatsoever. Uh, in a matter of seconds and minutes, uh, you can get a fully bindable coat and bind it yourself. No, no human actually comes and touches it. And that was mainly meant for that market because uh, there's it's a very underserved market, 
and uh, you know they really need for business resiliency and uh, we are seeing a lot of traction we get uh, uh, you know a lot of policies every day uh, just on that small business sector yeah and i imagine you must see growth also in the public sector right because it's essentially state governments having to bail out ransomware against schools hospitals what have you right so yeah, so the public sector, public yes, we wrote that. quite a bit uh, uh, last year, uh, late last year. Uh, these are municipalities and cities and schools and the townships and, uh, you know, they all, uh, of course, uh, the, the problem with them is uh, they, they don't have as sophisticated uh, controls in place as opposed to more private companies, mm -hmm. but uh, they have to be protected because, you know, they, their need for, and they're, they're more educated. Uh, they all have cyber. There's, uh, I don't know if it's actually a mandate uh, top down, but uh, almost all cities, all uh, everybody has uh, some sort of cyber insurance uh, even today. So those are definitely, definitely already there in place. Um, so you speak quite a bit about the necessity to train individuals. Right, so there's not just you like pile insurance on top of a problem, right? You're going to lower your risk by several factors, whether it's mitigation technology, remediation, but also the human factor, right? So, um, can you elaborate a little bit on like what an ideal training program looks like to you? Because I know security awareness training gets a lot of flack for being perfunctory and ineffective. Yeah, I mean, cyber training is very different from, let's say, you know, sexual harassment training, right? I means you do know, once every three months, six right. months, or once a year, you're good to go. Cyber training is a habit, like you, the training program that allows, I means you, you work the way you do, but then it comes in and it tells you that, hey, don't do this. It's, it's like a real-time training integrated into your flows. I think that's the best one. And now in absence of a real-time training, um, you know, like um, think about fish, fishing simulation, right? There's a lot of companies that now support fishing simulation. Uh, this simulation programs allows uh, uh, you to, you will get a fishing email. You don't know whether it's a, it's a test or not. If you click on it, you'll be alerted, hey, you should not have clicked on it. This is a test, you know, and whatnot. And that I think is really good because it, it really captures whether the, the employees are fully trained or not. Uh, but not everything can be that integrated into your daily routine. Uh, so the, the cyber training has to be delivered in smaller chunks, easy to consume, you know, those uh, 30 second, one minute videos uh, that, uh, you know, you don't have to take a lot of time to actually see and watch and understand. Uh, training is the most important critical factor, I would say, in avoiding uh, cyber risks. And, uh, you know, most of the time, it's uh, somebody clicking on something, somebody downloading something, somebody that locks up your computer, you know, encrypts the drive and now ransom demand is coming in. Only if, the, if that user had gone through the training, you would have avoided. So it's uh, worth every penny investing uh, time and energy in training modules. Uh, but yeah, I think the smaller the training modules and more frequent, it's like, you know, a doctor says you want to stay healthy, don't go for big meals, go for smaller meals multiple times a day. Right. <laughs> Same thing. <laughs> yeah, awesome. So I, Otavio, it just occurred to me in terms of, and this is maybe a question for both of you, you know, sometimes security awareness training is very generalized. Don't click on this link. This, But there are also like threat intel teams at large organizations have 
an idea of the specific threats that are facing their company, right? Like a specific campaign is targeting your company. I feel like there should be room there to connect those dots, right? So if it's just like all employees don't click on this particular link or, hey, we have all received a notice that we're suddenly getting COVID vaccine notifications and it looks like this, this is the lure. You know, I, I, haven't, I haven't experienced that as an employee and I haven't heard a lot of people talk about connecting the threat intel directly into the adaptive training. I don't know, I'm just thinking out loud here if yeah. you have any thoughts about that. Well, I, um, I, I think what you're describing is certainly uh, possible. And I think there's some uh, vendors that have emerged that are making great strides in that, um, you know, really pushing the security awareness to the end user and, and um, you know, as, as Rajiv mentioned, right, if, a, um, if the tip of the spear, which is employees fully aware of the risks they face, the organization does better. It's always about um, the fragmented attack surface and the weakest link. Now, it's certainly hard and, you know, people have a lot of obligations in their day, during their day. So to stay on top of that is incredibly hard and you really have to automate and make it super easy. And you are seeing, you know, sore vendors that really pulling all those things together, you know, oh. and orchestrating it. From our perspective, um, you know, um, certainly there's a lot of risks that uh, we, we surface as Safeguard Cyber and through Safeguard Me, which is an app, we are, we have a part to play in that education. You um, of all the collaboration and chat and social and digital channels and that super uh, fragmented attack surface, we are giving those end user pop-ups, right? Trying to um, make sure mm -hmm. um, we give those indications. Now, I mean, the attack surface is even broader than everything we protect. So we have a part to play. Um, still, there's many other windows and doors and <laughs> crevices. Right. But to the extent that of those things that we look after and the threat intelligence that we are building, we, you know, certainly trying to make sure that the end user that is, um, you know, just ultimately trying to do their work is made aware um, on a real-time basis. Awesome. Okay. Well, I, we're sort of coming up on time here. So, uh, Rajiv, back to you. I, I read that you are passionate about um kids and STEM education, uh, and that you have volunteered your time teaching kids sort of advanced electronics, robotics, hands-on IoT projects. I was hoping you could share kind of your favorite organization or project you work with. And then follow-up question is, do you still get to do that in this virtual world? Or have, how is that part of your life adapted to the world that we live in yeah it's a it's a bit of a it's a taken a bit of a backbench because of a lot of hands-on that's needed so the organization mm -hmm. that i i love is the first organization it's basically they uh, as part of their uh, whole charter um, you know there are about um, i think uh, over a million kids across the globe they actually participate in robotics uh, through first Lego League, first Tech Challenge, uh, first Robotics Challenge, um, means I have had the opportunity to be a judge in multiple of them. I, or I ran leagues uh, for a couple of years straight, 
but um, my passion is more on the electronic side. I, that's my engineering background. I love uh, robotics, uh, you know, anything that I can make tick. <laughs> so, uh, you know, it's, uh, it is, of course, uh, the, the COVID is a little tricky. You know, I used to remote teach, uh, uh, you know, uh, these are uh, schools in India, actually. There are about uh, 700 kids across uh, uh, seven, eight different schools. Uh, I remote teach uh, robotics and uh, electronics. But because of the COVID, uh, they are not meeting up, uh, so they don't have classes. So mm. there's no way for me to remotely teach. So a lot of that, I'm just waiting for the vaccine to kick in and then those uh, things to come back online so we can start again. But it's uh, one of the most rewarding things to, to basically educate kids earlier, uh, give them the understanding of what, how a computer works, how, you know, what takes in these robotics. And I believe if uh, I can, you know, uh, help one kid make a career decision, and uh, you know they they like this thing that it's it's just very fulfilling. It uh, makes me think that I've I've lived, I've served the purpose, kind of thing. All right. So, yeah, that's in, that's incredible. I think you know, for all the tumult of 2020, you know, the stories of uh, young scientists have give us a lot to to think about. You know, we've talked with young cyber advocates. We. I was reading about Gitanjali Rao, the yeah. uh, Times first kid of the year. I mean, she's 15 and developing lead water tests with carbon nanotubes. <laughs> it's like, I was not doing that. Oh, you won't believe the years. one, um, I'll tell you one of the events I judged, uh, these were uh, seventh and eighth graders, two, two girls. And uh, the ro robots we're talking about are, uh, you know, first tech challenge robots, they are about uh, two feet tall. Uh, they're pretty complex. Mm -hmm. They use uh, AI machine learning. There is a, a full on and these uh, seventh, eighth graders, they had programmed computer vision. They had done all sorts of AI in there and blown away and just two girls and the team size potentially could be up to 15 kids. And there were large teams with 15 kids and they just couldn't beat these two girls beat the hell out of everybody else and they won the championship. And I was really blown away how, you know, especially women in STEM, women in tech, I'm seeing a huge up uprising. Good, more, more to the good, that's incredible, cool. Well, I wanted to thank you very much for the time. Uh, I know you're very busy, so thank you for joining us. It's, it's really great to hear what Cowbell's doing and, and we just appreciate any other uh, disruptive technology trying to make, you know, a process like risk and cyber one more understandable and, and two smoother for for your users uh, thank you thank you for having me uh, really appreciate uh, thank you great well thank, thank you. you rajiv appreciate your time today thank you thank you once again to rajiv gupta for joining us to talk about cowbell cyber ai and transference of risk this podcast is a production of safeguard cyber our sound design and post-production is done by Kai Crogetti. Our producer is Chloe LeClaire. And our theme music is done by Matias Cefaletti. We will see you again in two weeks. Until then, as ever, stay safe, stay strong.